For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Jade Beeson, and we're going to explore how to get much better Instagram results by making small incremental changes that can yield ridiculous benefits. By the way, I am at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter slash X. If you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Jade Beeson. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I am very excited to be joined by Jade Beeson. If you don't know who Jade is, she is a marketing strategist and founder of The Creator Project, a media company that helps creators monetize their work. Her podcast is called The Creator Project. Jade, welcome back to the show for your second time. How are you doing today? I am so good. Thank you so much for having me back. I know I was one who reached out to you. I had such a great experience the first time. So I'm just grateful that you allowed me back on. I'm super grateful that you're here. And today, Jade and I are going to explore how to improve your Instagram account. And for those that are watching or listening, sometimes there's technical challenges. And today we've had some technical challenges. Yes, we have. (laughs) But what do we do when we have technical challenges? We innovate, we work our way through it. And now we are on the second opening of this particular podcast interview. So Jade, I know there's a lot of marketers who are watching or listening who have been doing what they've always been doing and they haven't really thought about auditing their work on Instagram. Why do you think it's important that we take a second look at what we're doing with our Instagram account? Do you know what? Every marketer I know could turn around and say to me, you know, there's one element of my Instagram channel that I don't feel like I'm quite nailing. Or maybe there's a goal or an objective that they just don't feel like they're quite hitting. And nine times out of 10, when we have that conversation and I say, oh, why do you think that is? It's usually just like a blank stare. They're like, I have no idea. Or the algorithm, right? If we want to figure out why we're not hitting certain goals, the best thing for us to do is to start by auditing our channel. When we audit our channel, it gives us opportunity to break down every single element of our Instagram page, which is something that we often don't do. A lot of the time we set up our channel and then we kind of leave it. We get going with the daily content, but every other aspect we tend to ignore after a while. So it gives us a chance to really revisit every element of our channel, score it, and make sure that we're fully evaluating it and ensuring that it's performing as well as it possibly could. Because the thing about Instagram this year and beyond is that there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of new features. There's a lot of updates. And in order for us to really stay on top of our content and ensure that our strategy is working to the best of its ability, we need to take a pause sometimes, review what we're doing so that we know how best to move forward. Well, and I love this because... 
folks that are active on other social platforms, and I know nearly all of you are not only on Instagram, how often do we find ourselves in a situation where we set our strategy in motion a year or two years ago, and we just kind of set it and forget it, right? And then we're doing what we're always doing, but we don't take time to step back and ask ourselves, oh, ought I change something? Oh, what about this new thing over here? What about this new thing over here? And all of a sudden, all of our competitors who are actively doing this are taking advantage of things that we are not taking advantage of. That's why I think, you know, this is critical that everybody pay attention to what we're going to talk about today, because we should always be reviewing, right? And asking ourselves, is it working? Am I doing this right? Did I just kind of throw it up there and not really even think about the impact that it's just having on people that are actively engaging with me? So, all right. So I guess the first area that we ought to pay attention to on Instagram is what, where do we want to start with this? So we want to start from the top. And the top is the bio. That's the first thing we're going to tackle. It's often one of the first things that people come into contact with when they're reviewing your content, whether they're deciding whether or not to follow you. I like to use this analogy of your shop window. So it's this idea that, you know, when you're out shopping and you see a shop window, you look at the shop window and whatever you see, you use that to decide whether or not you're actually going to enter the shop and go ahead and start buying some stuff, right? It's a similar thing on Instagram. Your bio makes up part of your shop window. It's what people are going to look at and review and decide whether or not they're going to go, go in and actually decide to follow you. So it's very, very important. And there's a few different elements to your bio, which is worth thinking about. So if we start from the very top on the left, obviously there's your profile photo, something that a lot of us overlook because we're just like, oh yeah, we'll just throw the most recent photo that we've got up there. Right. And for some of us that works, but for others, we need to put a little bit more thought behind it. One of the first things I encourage people to think about is are you going to go for a logo versus like a photo of yourself, for example? And if you are run, running a business or you're looking after a social media channel for a business, you always want to go with a logo because it makes it very clear to people that they are working with a brand that has a few people running it. If it is a personal brand and a personal business and you are part of it, then you should go with your face. And that's like a clear distinction between the two, right? You always want to make sure whatever your profile photo is, there's a clear subject to it. And what I mean by that is that there's one key thing for people to focus on. So where people often go wrong with this is they might put like a group pick as their profile photo. Maybe it's like a staff photo. And as beautiful as that photo probably is, if there are multiple subjects or objects in that photo, it becomes very difficult for people to distinguish what they should be focusing on because the profile photo is such a small, finite area. And the same is for a logo, like make sure it's very clear what people should be looking at, which is usually the name of your company. All these extra embellishments could be part of the logo when you're using it in a different context. But for your Instagram profile page, it's got to be as simple and as straightforward as possible. So that is the bio section that or the profile section that you really want to work on. And then you want to move on to the slightly harder part, which is more to do with the text in your bio. And there's a few different elements here. So there's your profile name, which is not to be confused with your actual Instagram handle. This is the bold part that appears on your bio. This is like absolute gold dust for us. Like it's such a great area for us to include a keyword, which is basically like one or a few different words which describe who we are and what we sell or what our value is, what our niche is. Something which we imagine our audience searching for on Instagram, whatever that is that we want to appear under, we want it to go there. 
Okay, because that is what's going to increase the chances of our profile page actually appearing under these search terms. Can I ask a quick question on that? So let's say Jade Beeson or Michael Stelzner, right? Like how many more words can you put in there before it cuts it off? And could I put a slogan in there for my company or like got any wisdom on what we can add in that profile name? I can't remember the exact character length, but if you've got your first and last name, you probably only have two to three additional words to play with. So in that case, if it's a personal brand, I often encourage you to think about if you need your first and last name or whether it's just your first name. If you've got both your names in your Instagram handle, then having just your first name there is totally fine. In terms of what actually to put, for example, you mentioned having your company slogan, unless people search that, which they might, but unless people are searching that, I wouldn't put it in there. You could put it in the second part of your bio if you like. But the most important thing is that you're including keywords that people are actively searching for. So nothing so specific and unique that it's only relevant to you and people, unless people know you, they won't think to search it. But at the same time, you don't want to go so broad that realistically, if someone searches that, several people will come up. Like the common one that I see is like content creator. And there are a lot of content creators. What kind of content do you create? What do you talk about? Who's your audience? That's what you want to be focusing on when it comes to what to write in that section. Cool. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. So then we've got the rest of the bias, the rest of the text. We've got a bit more space here for us to play with. Something that I always recommend people think about is including a value statement, which is essentially you stating to a potential future follower what value you give them because it gives them a reason to follow you. Now, for some people, this is easier than others. A lot of businesses, especially businesses who sell products, struggle with this. And I actually think that's part of a deeper challenge, which is a lot of businesses who sell products tend to upload content, which is just of the products and doesn't necessarily have a value attached to it. And that's a challenge that we want to dive into and figure out as well. That's like a separate strategic thing, because realistically, if we're not sharing content that is valuable to our audience in some way, maybe it's entertaining, it's educational, it's relatable, maybe it's pretty and people feel good when they look at it. If there's no value there at all, it's going to be very difficult to get someone to follow you because we are inherently slightly selfish when we are browsing profiles on Instagram. We are looking for people to follow who we're going to get something from. And if we don't think we're going to get it from you after reading your bio, then there's a chance that we're not going to follow you. So think about some value statements where you're just clearly saying like, I share X, Y, Z. I will help you with this, this, this. I will provide inspiration for this and this and this, because that's going to massively help you convert more people who read your bio to actually deciding to follow you. I love this. I can't take notes fast enough. <laughs> as far as the amount of text that we have, is it just about two lines of text or how much do we have there in that section? You normally have around four lines worth of text, but the fourth line is going to get hidden. So when people land on your page, they have to click more to see it. So I always say with that line, make it good, but don't make it so good that you're going to be upset if someone doesn't see it. <laughs> do you have any examples of how like maybe you're doing this or some of your clients are doing this, especially this value statement so people can wrap their heads around this? Okay. So if we had, I'm just looking at my own personal Instagram now at the moment. So on, for example, on my Instagram account, I've got just Jade in my profile name. I don't have Jade Beeson because there's not enough space. And then I have creator and social media consultant because that last part, especially is something that I know people will search for. I've then linked my other business, which is always worth doing if you do have that. I've got a few proof points in mind. So I'm talking about the fact that I have 130,000 followers on YouTube, some of the articles I've been featured in, like that kind of stuff. And then I go on to say like free resources, tips for becoming a creator. So 
that is me combining a few different elements there. I'm combining my value statement so people know who I'm for. I'm going to help you become a content creator. I've even got some proof points in there. I'm proving like, look, you might have never come across me before, but I have been featured in these articles. I do have this audience elsewhere. And then at the bottom, that final bit that I'm okay with losing if I have to, that bit says free resources. So that's essentially the part where I'm giving a call to action to increase the chances of people clicking on my link. I think a lot of us assume people click on links, but if they don't have a reason to click, then they they usually don't. <laughs> well, and I'm looking at Social Media Examiner's Instagram account and it says it's got a little palm tree emoji. And it says, make smart marketing decisions and compete with the largest players in your industry. And then it's got a carriage return and another palm tree emoji. And it says, join us for, and it's got the hashtag SMMW24, which is our conference. And then it's got the date and it's got the city, but the hashtag isn't activated or anything. It's just in there kind of as like, I guess a little ad for social media marketing world. And then we happen to have like a URL down below. And then we also have this category thing. Should we talk about that underneath your name? Like I have entrepreneur for me and social media examiner has education. Is there any thought that needs to go into that category and whether we ought to change that or what that should be? Yeah, it's such a good question. Previously, there was more importance of this. So previously, what I would have said is, yes, make sure you're picking a category that's super relevant to you and what you create, because it's just another thing which communicates to your audience or your potential future audience who you are and what you create content about. However, because of how Instagram is set up now, if you have a business account and you have certain categories, you will not have access to the whole music library when you're creating reels, for example. Oh. Yeah. So if you're, that's why mine is entrepreneur. That's why a lot of people are entrepreneur. When you're an entrepreneur, you're, you have access to the full music library, but due to music licensing and those kind of restrictions, there are some categories which will mean that you won't be able to use all of the features or all of the music. So choose wisely is what I would say behind that. And don't, stress if you can't pick the category that's most relevant to you for those reasons. Okay. So what we know so far is our name can have keywords in it. Our description section can have a value statement of who we're for, which might be more valuable or possibly in your case, a credibility statement, right? Like author of blank book or podcast or whatever. And then the photo itself, obviously we ought to visit whether or not that photo is optimized so beyond the, I don't even know what we're calling this, the bio section, like what else do we need to be looking at? Those are really the key elements that you want to be thinking about. I think the main thing to wrap it all up and to when you're auditing to really have this lens when you're looking at all these different elements is you want to put yourself in your audience's shoes always. And you want to ask yourself, OK, if my audience lands on this this profile page, is it really clear that my content is for them? I think a lot of us fall into the trap of creating a bio that's for everyone. And it's the same mistake as creating content that's for everyone. We want to be specific about who we're trying to attract to our audience so that when that person sees our profile photo and our bio, they know that we're for them. If we make it generic and vague, they don't know that we're for them. So the more specific you can be and the more targeted you can be with all of those different elements, the better. Well, and we have a lot more stuff to talk about, folks. So the next area that we need to audit is what exactly? 
So we're going to move on and we're going to talk about page features. Now, this is quite a broad one because we're basically referring to all the different features that sit within Instagram and if we are using the right mix and if we're using them correctly. So there's a few different features that we're going to talk about, right? So if we start with like the top of the page, like we did before, you've got your stories and then you've also got your highlights and they can kind of be bundled together. The great thing about your stories is that they are an incredible resource, an incredible feature for you to use to help you bond with your audience a bit more. I was recently speaking with a creator who is really, really big on Instagram, but she's been around for years. Like she's been on Instagram since like 2015. And she spoke about the impact that stories had on her relationship with her following when they were launched, because suddenly she was able to create basically long form video content in some way or another on her stories and really start to share things that weren't aligned with her niche so much, just more her life. And it really brought people in and it really allowed her to build some amazing relationships and advocates. So when you're evaluating and auditing your stories, what you want to do is you want to go into your archives. You want to look at some of the stories you've shared over the past few months and you want to ask yourself, is this bringing people in to a part of my brand or my life that I'm not currently sharing on my feed? And only ever share what you want to share. I'm not saying like start sharing every aspect of your life, but there's usually something else you can check. It could be your morning walks. It could be your pets. Like it could be other elements that you can talk about that allows people just to get to know you on a slightly deeper level. And your highlights become a playlist of that. So your favorite stories that you really felt like really helped you bond with your audience, those stories that triggered the biggest response, the amount of DMs, those are the ones you want to use to put in your highlights because they essentially go on to live forever. And then once you know what those are, you could set about creating some categories to make sure that they are relevant to the content inside, but also relevant to your audience. So that's kind of how those two things work together. And that's the kind like the level of content you should be looking at for those two. Okay. So beyond stories, what else do we need to be auditing in the page feature section? Yeah. So we want to be looking at our use of like our core feed features. So that is our photos, our carousels, our reels, right? So when we're looking at these, there's a few different things we want to look out for. First of all, we're going to make sure the quality is good. And when I'm saying quality, I'm talking about like, if we're sharing a reel, has the video taken up majority of the screen? Is it is it filmed in the right? Is it landscape versus portrait? Have we filmed it correctly? Is it actually a high quality video or is it all fuzzy? Is the photos fuzzy? Are the carousel graphics downloaded in a way which means that the graphic itself isn't clear? The real simple stuff that I think a lot of us like think we're doing already and would actually be quite surprised if we go through our content to realize that our content isn't actually being uploaded in the best quality possible. And a tip on that, and this is one that I still don't think a lot of people know, when it comes to your reels, for example, you'll probably do this exercise. You'll go through your reels and you'll realize that actually the quality isn't uploading as well as you would like it to. I just had the exact same thing today with one of, with my other Instagram account. I saw something post and I was like, the quality is off. It's going to happen from time to time. A few things that can help you is changing your camera settings on your phone so that you're filming in 4K because Instagram can process 4K better than it can HD. And also going to your settings within the Instagram app and searching for data usage, because there you're going to see a little toggle, which is going to say upload high quality. That is almost always automatically off because when you upload videos in high quality, it uses more mobile data. So their data optimization is to have that off, which means you could be uploading reels and reducing the quality this whole time 
without even realizing. So that's just like a couple of tips that you can use that's going to help you with that. Whoa, I got to ask a clarifying question. What about for those of us that are uploading video on the desktop? I would imagine this is a non-issue, right? Because like I've been doing experiments on my Instagram account with 4K long form video and I've been uploading it on the desktop just because they were talking about a gigabyte file, right? Sometimes would it make sense to experiment with uploading some of this stuff on the desktop so that you know for sure it's going to be in 4K? Or does the desktop bring its own challenges? Because I do know when I upload on desktop, I don't have all the cool features that I can do on the mobile device, right? I can't add all the cool animated captions and stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely think it's worth testing to see what's working for you. To your original question, this data usage part shouldn't be a problem. That okay. should, shouldn't come into it. So it should be uploading at the highest quality. I use the word should because genuinely, even if you're doing these things, sometimes your quality will be off. Just like my example just then, that video that went live recently and I was like, I it just suddenly wasn't as high quality as the other one. So now I've got to go back and try and sift and figure out the reason. So testing being the key word, but I 100% think you should test uploading from your desktop. Just for people that want to know where they find that little setting to turn on upload for high quality, do you have any sense of where in the world they're going to find that in the Instagram app? So I always use the search function because otherwise I'm never going to find it. So you want to go to the burger icon, top right-hand side of your Instagram profile. You want to click on settings and then type in data and then data usage should appear. Perfect. Okay. So is there anything else that we need to talk about related to reels, photos, carousels, and all that fun stuff? So things like your reels, for example, if we zone in on that area, when you're reviewing your reels, just to check that you're using that feature as best as you could, you want to be looking at things like how often are you using audio to enhance your reels? When you're using audio, are you paying attention to the ones which are trending, which normally have the little upwards tick? Not for everyone. I know some regions don't have that, but for a lot of people, it has the upwards tick. Are you using audio every now and again? Are you experimenting with different formats for your reels? So sometimes you might be speaking to the camera and other times are you doing a vlog style cut? like are you experimenting with it and getting creative the number one thing though with your reels that you want to look at is the hook this is the biggest thing that I feel like I talk about at least four times a day with people is the first few seconds of your reel is it hooking your audience in because if you imagine or in fact if you the next time you see someone who you're with who is on their phone and they're scrolling I want you to watch them because it's fascinating people get in such a zone and they're literally just like swiping and swiping and swiping and look at them and think to yourself every single time they swipe ask yourself how long you would have had to have captured their attention before they swiped off that reel because I guarantee it would have been between one to five seconds max so what are you putting at the start of your reel that's going to get them to stop scrolling the next time they see your content what about captions what are your thoughts on captions like is this something that people forget to turn on Yeah. So captions, do you mean captions? Close captioning. Oh, okay. So really, really good point. If there is anything of value that you're saying, right? So not necessarily having your like audio in the background, unless it's like a voiceover audio, then you should always be using captions, especially on Instagram, because Instagram is naturally an audio off platform, which is interesting. People, most of the time when someone's on Instagram, their sound is off. When they're on other platforms like TikTok, their sound is on, which I find very fascinating. And I'm I'm literally exactly the same. So when you think about that, you've got to be creating content for someone to consume and find value in with no sound. Yeah, that, that is a fascinating thing. Okay, so we've talked about reels, photos, anything specific about carousels and photos other than, I mean, the obvious making sure it looks good when, when you upload it? 
Yeah, yeah. Carousels are such an interesting one because the rise of like the trend around the photo dump, you know, when someone's just like uploading a bunch of content from the past month and it it is designed to feel not very strategic and just like a bunch of random videos, I think has led to this belief that like carousels can just be anything and there's no strategy behind them. It doesn't really matter. But actually you can put a bit of strategy to it if you wanted to. There's an old school marketing model. It's called the AIDA model. And it basically stands for like A is attention, I is interest, D is desire, and then the final A is action. And that works quite well for carousels, especially for businesses who create like graphic carousels where it's got text on it. That works really well. So the first slide should be attention grabbing. The next one should be sparking some interest. The next one should be related to some kind of desire that your audience has. And then your last slide should be an action. So it's harder to do when it's all just images, but you can still do it to an extent. But if you're doing graphics, then that's definitely a model that I recommend you follow. Anything on the photo side of things, if we're just, if we're not doing a carousel, we're just doing a single photograph, for example, or image upload, anything that we need to be thinking about, maybe that people aren't thinking about because maybe they're just stuck in an old routine. So when it comes to photos, it will depend on the type of photos that you're sharing. I think I touched on previously trying to avoid falling into the pitfall of just sharing photos of your products or services. That's like a really big one. Obviously, if you've got a launch, something new's coming, you need to let people know. Great. Most of the time, if you're trying to sell a product or service, I encourage you to get a bit creative with it and maybe bring your customer in it or a previous customer into it. So you focus more on testimonials or social proof, or maybe it's UGC and it's someone else talking about your product. Think about doing things like that so that it doesn't get stale because that type of content will get stale very, very quickly. In terms of everything else, if you're ever uploading something and you think, oh, I'm, I just think this is a pretty photo. I'm not sure what the value is here. Do not forget that you still have your caption for you to tie some value in. So even if you see me uploading a photo and I upload quite a few photos recently, I've fallen back in love with them. If you upload me uploading a photo, there will always be something in the caption that is going to give anyone who's looking for that bit more value that they've grown accustomed to getting from me and my content. It will be there. Is your view that captions should be small and to the point or long form stories? I mean, I'm just curious because I'm hearing different perspectives from different guests I've had on the show. Yeah. It's, do you know what? It's going to depend on your audience and what your audience want. And sometimes you can see it like generationally, like by generation split. So for millennials, which is my generation, we kind of grew up with like the long captions, like the whole essays in the captions. It was a whole thing. It was basically blog posts. Um, so a lot of the time millennials are inclined, like they'll see a caption and be like, oh, let me give that, that a read. Whereas, you know, if we're generalizing a younger generation like Gen Z might be like, absolutely not. I'm not reading that. So think about your audience and you know what? Pay attention to your comments, for example, because I personally know that my audience read my captions because they talk about things that I'm saying in my captions. So that is a clear indication that I should continue to write them. I don't make them long for the sake of it. I usually just try to get some kind of piece of value across. And whether if that's one sentence or five, then that's totally fine. But yeah, listen to your audience to see what they're doing, because even if they're not like impartial to a good long caption, you still want to write something because it does help Instagram understand what your content is about. So we, we don't want to ignore them completely, but you're completely right. And I get that you probably had people who have different opinions because they probably have different audiences. <laughs> AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. 
Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app, and happy listening. Okay, so, so far, we've talked about the first thing to audit is really your bio and all the things associated with it. Second thing to audit is this big category we've been talking about, which is all the the content that you're publishing across your various different things, stories, reels, photos, carousels. There's another area that we want to focus on, which is presumably, well, actually, I'm not going to say it. You tell me, what's the third area that we should focus on? (laughs) Right. So now we want to look at your followers and your engagement, like the health that you have or the relationship that you have with your followers and how healthy your follower base is. So there's a few different areas to look at here. And a lot of this is going to require you to be really honest with yourself, this section. (laughs) The whole thing does, but especially this section, because one of the first things you want to look at is how healthy is your follower audience? And when I say healthy, I'm referring to how many bots do we have in there? And notice I said how many, I didn't say, do you have any? Because a lot of us have bots in our audience. It doesn't mean that we've purchased followers. Bots just follow a lot of people. So a lot of us end up with the odd bot here and there. The odd bot. What we need the odd yeah, the odd the odd bot. What we need to be honest with ourselves about is have we purchased any followers? Right? Even if it was a long time ago, have we done it? Have we taken part in any form of like fake follower count or fake engagement so you know like the other engagement groups and like engagement trains and that kind of stuff even if it's in the past it's worth us just having a look to see if it's still impacting us if we still have bots in our audience we can remove followers from our instagram accounts we can do it manually people always ask me is there some way that we can do it in bulk and the answer is no anytime you want to do anything in bulk in that nature from instagram any program what allows you to do it probably is not approved by Instagram because they absolutely hate you doing things like that in bulk. So unfortunately, it is a manual process. But if you set some time aside every day, you can make your way through it. Right. So we want to be looking at our followers. Are they healthy? And, you know, what's the relationship like from there? We can start to look at things like our engagement rate. Real quick on the health of the followers. There's people we follow and then there's people that follow us. So are you talking about the people we follow? Like if you have a hundred thousand followers, how in the world you can't go through that, right? I mean, like, are you talking about the people that are following you? Is that really what you're talking about? I'm genuinely talking about the people that are following us. So there's a few different things that you could do here. There are actually auditing tools that you can use. They won't do all the different elements that we're talking about, but they can actually run a report on your account and they can see how many bots you have. Because brands, for example, when brands work with creators, they look into this and they can see how many like fake followers one person might have. In addition to that, though, and obviously when you've got hundreds of thousands, this is going to be hard. But a lot of the time, if you go into your follower number, your account, you click on it and you scroll. And I'm not saying to scroll through all of them, but you can scroll for a few minutes and you could see if you've got a lot of bots. And I know this because I do this for other people's accounts all the time. I've gotten very good at it. I can literally pick up on it straight away. They have very similar characteristics, most of these bots, even the really fancy ones. So you'll be surprised at how quickly you could pick up on them. Now, if you have 100,000 followers and you know that you have a bot problem, it is going to be very difficult for you to remove the bots. So then it's up to you to decide if you're just going to make peace with them being there and you're aware that they're there and you're aware that they might be hurting your engagement 
or if you want to dedicate some kind of time or resource towards actually removing them. What I like about this from an analytical perspective is if you could audit, let's say, your last thousand followers, right? And you could calculate what percentage of them appear to be like not your ideal follower, something appears off. They're probably some sort of a program that someone's using to try to get you to follow them back, you know, and all that kind of craziness. Mm -hmm. Then you could figure, let's say it's 10%, right? And I'm being probably, that's probably high, but then you could say, all right, if I have a hundred thousand followers, I really only have 90,000 followers. Right. And then you could, you could properly calculate whether or not you're getting good engagement or not, because you have to discount all these unengaged followers. Right. Exactly. And that's what I mean when I say you could make your peace with it, but just make sure you're aware of it so that you can take it into account when you're doing your analytics. Because being blissfully unaware, as blissful as that might be, is actually just going to hurt you because it means that you don't really have a grip on what your actual engagement is like, you know? Right. So what else do we need to do then as far as engagement? Like, let's get we're beyond the fake followers now and we're trying to figure out what is good engagement like and how do we audit that? That's where the engagement rate comes in. And there's actually two different kinds of engagement rates, which a lot of people don't know. There's like the industry standard engagement rate. And that is when you are basically comparing or dividing, should I say, your follower count by your engagement. And you're you're doing that in order to get a percentage which represents the percentage of your followers who engage with your content. Now, this is industry standard. It's useful because it gives you a good idea of not only how many of your followers are engaging with your content, but also how many of your followers are seeing it. Because we all know that all of our followers don't see our content, which is why there's another form of engagement rate, which a lot of people don't necessarily talk about, but people do use like behind the doors. And that is when we're actually looking at the reach of our content versus our engagement. Because when we compare those two numbers or divide and then times by 100 to get a percentage, when we're doing that, we actually get a clear view of the amount of people who saw our post who then decided to engage. And that's not what the standard engagement rate will tell you. Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is this is kind of a post by post or is this a month by month? How how does that work? Yeah, so... I normally recommend doing it month by month because post by post is just like way too much. So you can do it month by month. You can go into analytics, you can look, change your little date scale. So it's the past 30 days and you could get the number of the amount of followers who, yeah, your reach, but specifically your followers. When you click on your reach, you'll get the amount of people you reached who follow you. It will tell you it there. So you want to take that number and then you want to divide it by the amount of engagement you got from the past 30 days and times it by 100. And then you'll get your other engagement rate, which is also super, super useful. You can also do it by post. If there's a random post you want to just look into, that's fine. But I wouldn't get in the habit of it. Okay. Just to be super clear, we're in analytics. We're looking at the last 30 days or 28 days, whatever, however they do it. And we're looking at the total reach. But then you said we had to click on it, click in on that reach and look because some stuff like reels is shown to people that are not followers. So we're looking at our core followers, right? So when we click in on the reach, what do we see? We see like reach from followers versus non-followers. Does it distinguish that? Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, you're going to see a pie chart. And on the left, it's going to show you reach from followers. And on the right, it's going to show you your reach from non-followers. You can tell I spend a lot of time in people's analytics because I'm not even looking at my phone. Yeah. And I just know it's So what about engage? Does it break engagement down by the same category or no? 
Does engage is engagement by followers sure versus non-followers, or do we take the total engagement? That's the part that I wanted to wrap my head around. And I, for those that are not watching the video, Jade is pulling up her Instagram account just to confirm this. This is the yes. kind of geeky yes, stuff that I love. It does. Okay. Okay. So, so then what we're saying here is that when you go into the Instagram, what is it? Analytics or insights? Is that what they call, what do they call it? Insights. Yeah. yeah. So click in on both engagement and in reach and pull the data from your followers and then divide that together to calculate your true engagement rate. Is that what I'm really, really hearing you say? Yeah. Okay. And why is this so important? Because this is actually going to tell you of the people who see your content, how many of them are engaging, which I actually think to me is a more valuable piece of metric and data. I want to know, okay, 10 people saw that post, nine of them liked it. That's a great post. However, if I was doing the other engagement rate, it might tell me that actually it was a lot less because it's looking at my follower account or maybe it was more. It skews the data in a way that I don't find massively helpful because, again, all of our followers don't see our content. So it's not really telling us how many of our followers are engaging or how many people who saw our content are engaging. It's kind of basing it off of this number that isn't relative to our engagement. Got it. So just to be crystal clear, because I love being clear, the main way engagement is calculated is total followers divided by engagement, not necessarily visibility, quote unquote, divided by engagement. And what you're saying is visibility divided by engagement is a better number. And if you want to dig deeper, you can go look at those, you know, two different groups, right? The followers and the non-followers and do some more analysis. Are you finding any kind of universal standards or ranges just so people have some sort of sense? Or do you recommend everybody compete against themselves and try to outdo themselves? Yeah, it's always such a complicated one when we talk about engagement rates, regardless of which way of calculating them, because there are so many variables. For example, the smaller your account, especially if we're looking at like the, the traditional way of calculating engagement, then really the higher your engagement should be. And then the more people you get in your audience or the more reach your content gets, the lower your engagement is going to be just simply because there's more people involved. So the chances of such a big portion of them engaging with your content just becomes less. So in terms of broad standards, which I can tell you specifically for like the industry wide engagement rate. So the one where we're looking at your followers versus your engagement, because this data is already available. What people are currently working to is that the average engagement rate between for accounts will have between zero to five thousand followers is about six percent. And then when you have between 5,000 to 20,000 followers, it's between 3%. And then 20,000 plus, it just seems to be averaging out at 2%, which I find quite fascinating. Because if you have a million followers, I would have thought it'd be a bit, a little bit less. So it shows at least looking at those numbers that, you know, it does decrease the bigger your audience gets. And it gives you like a rough benchmark just so that you know when you're kind of in the danger zone a bit. But it's still not something that you can completely rest on. Outside of this, I do recommend tracking your own engagement and keeping track of the data. And then, yes, competing against yourself is the best route forward. One thing that I talk about with a lot of my YouTube friends, because we've got a decent sized YouTube channel, is when YouTube and also Instagram, when you have a piece of content that goes viral, it gets shown by the algorithm to people that do not know who you are your engagement is going to naturally drop by its very nature because the platforms are showing these videos to much larger audiences. And that means that you're just going to get like a lot of people that maybe aren't the prime target for that audience seeing that content. 
And the more those videos go viral, the smaller that engagement is going to be. Everybody who's ever had a million views knows this, that the engagement is ridiculously small, but that's okay because you're getting something else, which is visibility, right? And that's just something you have to process in your brain. That's why Jade said a few minutes ago, she's shocked that it's averaging 2% because she knows what I know is that the people that have massive followings have ridiculously tiny engagement. It's got to be that way because their videos are being seen by just tons of people and it couldn't possibly maintain those levels of engagement, right, Jade? Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly that. And it's always worth just having that knowledge and being aware of it, because otherwise, if we kind of like blindly follow these benchmarks or maybe we hear other people's engagement or we see other people's engagement and we fall into the trap of comparing without the context, that's usually when we end up in situations where either we feel bad about ourselves or we're making poor dis- like strategic decisions because we're not thinking about the context of the data. Now, I know at this point, A lot of people watching or listening have gotten a lot of things that they want to do to improve on their Instagram account, but there's yet another area. (laughs) What's the other area that we need to audit? There is. So this section is about the content and this part is a lot more strategic. So one of the main things that you look at when you're doing this, right, is the value of your content and how well you're getting that across. Because we spoke about that when we spoke about your bio. I know we ran through the features and like best use of each of the features, but we haven't actually dived into, you know, the content itself, the messaging, and if it's doing what we want it to. I always say to people that you want to create with intention. And if you, someone might hear that, I think that that, that sounds a bit too intense for me. I always see this as the difference between a personal account and a business account. Your personal account, you are not creating with intention. You're just snapping photos and videos and then you're posting it because you like it. And that is amazing. With a business account, there's intention behind your post. Every single post that you share or at least majority of them, you should be sharing with this intention of, okay, this is going to be the value of the post. This is what I want people to get from it, right? You also want to have a clear idea of, what objective or what goal you think that post might help you with. And the reason why is because it will allow you to evaluate it a lot better. So let me give you an example. There would be a lot of people listening to this who are social media marketing managers or they run businesses and stuff like that. So they'll be trying to sell a product or a service. And I guarantee that most of people listening can relate to this idea that when you talk about your product or service, the engagement drops. Even if you're doing it in a creative way, really fun way, your engagement is always going to be less. Your reach is almost always going to be less than the rest of your content. Where people go wrong, though, is they've created this post with this idea of this is going to drive some sales for us. And then when they evaluate the post or when they audit the post, they then look at it and think this wasn't successful because the reach was low and the engagement was low. But that wasn't the intention of the post. The post was supposed to get you sales. So that's the thing that you should be looking at. And it's the same with content that you're like, Joe, this is a trending piece of content. This is a real, I feel like this could be seen by a lot of people. My intention here is that it's going to help me grow. When you're analyzing it, look at the reach. Don't look at the engagement. Don't see if it drove sales for you because that wasn't the point of the post. And it must, for some people, I think it seems like a really obvious distinction. And for others, it might be something we've not spoke about. But I can't tell you how many times I've seen people trip up over this and change their strategies and be like, I don't talk about my products or services because it's killing my account. And I'm like, it's not. (laughs) It's just doing a different job for you. So when you're auditing your content, this is what I want you to look at. Like, this is the lens I want you to look through. I want you to go through it and think, okay, what was the value here? 
And what was the intention? And do I think this post fulfilled that intention? Very cool. Is there anything else on the content side of things that we need to be looking at? Because I know that so many people that create content get in a routine and they just do it the same way every single time. And they just, you know, I mean, they just kind of like, they say it works in their brain and they're just doing it. You know, should we be actually analyzing some of the data on the content itself? I mean, does that make sense at all? Like what's our yeah. views on these videos or what's our, well, they don't give you a retention on, uh, on the, on the videos. I don't think, do they in Instagram? They don't do they? They give you a watch time now for your reels. Is that worth looking at? Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a weird one. The watch time with your reels, it is worth looking at the total watch time is not doesn't really mean much. It doesn't, it doesn't give you enough, enough context, but the watch time by real is actually pretty useful. And something that I recommend people do when they get to this section of the audit is to do this exercise where they go into their analytics and they click on their content. And basically using the tabs on the top left-hand side, you'll be able to filter your content based on like a reel or based on a story. And you can even filter it based on the reach versus the engagement. So I often recommend people go through a bit of exercise where for the core content formats they use. So if they use photos and reels the most, then that's the ones you want to focus on. Go for an exercise where you go in your analytics, you look at your reels, you filter them by reach, let's say. And that will allow you to see your top performing reels by reach. I then want you to save those reels to an album and just title it like, reels reach and if you do that for the metrics that are important to you the ones that are going to help you reach your goals so maybe it's reach maybe it's engagement maybe it's profile visits like whatever it is that aligns with your goals if you do that the end result is that you'll have a couple saved folders that are just going to tell you point blank this is your best content for reaching this goal if you're trying to reach people these reels are the ones that helped you do that. So find some way to reinvent them, recreate them, dive into why you think they worked. Were they similar in any way? Because that is like a goldmine of data that you can use to really improve your content moving forward. Speaking of gold mines, we just dug up some real gold here today, Jade. I know that I'm representing a lot of the people that are like taking notes or like thinking I've got to watch this again or listen to this again. <laughs> I just want to say thank you for sharing all of your insights. And I know we've only scratched the surface. I'm very excited that you're going to be coming to speak at Social Media Marketing World. But beyond that, there's going to be people who want to reach out to you, Jade. So where do they find you on Instagram? Where do they find you off of Instagram? Where do you want to send everybody? Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, definitely reach out to me on Instagram. My Instagram name is Jade Beeson. Also, I do have a free audit template that will just guide you through the process of all the different elements that I just spoke about if you're ready to get started with your audit. So that is available at jadebeeson.com forward slash SME. And of course, as mentioned at the start of, the, of this video and this episode, I do have my own podcast as well called The Creator Project Podcast. That I would love to see you over there as well. Jade Beeson, thank you so much for sharing all your insights with us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 582. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter slash X. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. 
If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.